Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I can probably say that in my sleep. We're in the episode, we're approaching the 680-ish episodes, and this podcast works um, because of the guests that come on and share their stories. So I'm grateful for the guests. I'm grateful for you listeners that tune in and share the podcast with others. You're the ones that make the podcast work. I looked, I don't really track podcast stats. We're not selling our podcast to advertisers, but I noticed we have over 6 million downloads of Listen, Learn, and Love since we started about five years ago. So thank you for your support. My guest on today's podcast, um, joining me from Boston, Massachusetts, one of my favorite cities is um, my friend, Ashley Dyer. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you so much, Richard. Good to be here. Um, Ashley is going to, she's um, in her late 20s, maybe her early 30s. She can tell us if she, where she is. She's right on the bubble there. She's active LDS. Um, she has written a book that she's going to talk about in, the, in this podcast. It's called Women at the Well, Mini Devotionals for Women of Faith. And um, some of the things that this book talks about, am I truly enough just as I am? Can I find joy and fulfillment in scripture study? When faced with the faith crisis, how do I navigate it through through it with strength and resilience? How can I confidently share the gospel without feeling self-conscious or awkward? Um, I still feel that way, listeners. In the midst of hardship, can I truly feel God's presence and solace in his love? How do I embrace courage and choose fear of faith over fear? What is grace? How can I recognize its abundant blessings in my life and share it with others? So this is a little bit what the book's focused on. Um, Ashley's um, also spoken recently at High Five. That's an online devotional, and I love the topics she addressed. Grace over guilt, overcoming perfectionist, perfectionist tendencies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So... You're part of this rising generation of Latter-day Saints, Ashley, that's bravely talking about more of these tender topics. And I believe a lot of Latter-day Saints are looking for people talking about these topics because they're dear to them and they're trying to navigate how to do these more tender topics under the umbrella of Come Follow Me. I sometimes think this podcast is kind of a practical application of Come Follow Me in real-life situations with people like you. Um, Ashley is. Um, a traveling nurse, and she may talk about that. She's in Boston right now. Um, she's in a grad program, online grad program, to be a nurse practitioner, getting her master's at John Hopkins. Um, she grew up in Shanghai, China. Um, our daughter, Emily, and um, your cousin, Matt Easton, that we're going to talk about, were um, in China and stayed at your parents' home. So um, if your parents are listening, thank you for taking care of our daughter in China. Um, Emily is all over the world and often people will, um, take her in and, um, she's a remarkable woman who's also writing a book. Um, so that's a little bit about Ashley. I'm going to read it just a little bit more. She's a nurse, a life coach, an author, speaker, and social media influencer. She is this, she is a spiritual mentor and a big advocate for mental and spiritual health as she shares uplifting messages for wisdom for women of faith on Instagram at, at ashley.c.dyer, and we'll link to that in the show notes. She served an LDS mission to Tennessee, 
Nashville and Brazil um, and graduated from BYU College of Nursing in 2018. And she speaks um, on a range of topics from scripture study and faith crisis to Christian dating and embracing God's plans during times of uncertainty. So um, she's also the cousin, as I mentioned, to Matt Easton. He's a gay Latter-day Saint who's been on the podcast. And I think you're going to tell a little bit about um, living in Baltimore. And um, Matt was in the D.C. Pride. He was in the Grand Marshal car. And I think you got involved in, in that. And it was a good experience for you. So you may share a little bit about that. Anyway, that's about four and a half minutes of introduction and a little about the podcast. How is that okay for an introduction, Ashley? Oh, it's great. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so I'll just kind of let you talk. And um, it's really remarkable that you've written a book. And I love the way you call this your first book. And sometimes these podcast listeners, I think, are good for younger listeners or even older ones that are hearing a personal story um, in the context of the things you're teaching, because um, I'm not sure you'd imagine you'd be a nurse practitioner in Boston on a podcast um, with your first book coming out and have been in the DC Pride Parade. I'm sure if we took you back to your 16-year-old self, none of that may have been on your immediate radar map, um, but it's, a <laughs> it's just a beautiful story of acting on impressions and um, receiving personal revelation and making your way forward. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for, for the intro. I guess um, I mean, you've introduced so much about me. I'm trying to figure out where to start. But you're talking about kind of acting on per, um, inspiration. Uh, and I guess my book just came out uh this month, actually, I, I just got the first Amazon package. So that's super exciting. That's um, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but kind of through this experience of writing a book, I, I never really thought I would ever write a book. I It all started uh, during the COVID pandemic, actually. And I was a nurse uh, in the pandemic, a, a, a nurse of like one year out. So never in nursing school did they ever teach me uh, how to carry myself during a worldwide pandemic. It was quite the unexpected experience. And it was very scary at first for me because it was like, I'm going to go to work today and I don't know how I'm going to come out if I'm going to be, you know, sick or afflicted or if I'm going to keep going strong. And it was just really an experience that helped me learn how to choose faith over fear in such a crazy time in my life. And I remember in April 2020, uh, I was preparing for general conference, and I was trying to think of questions to bring to conference. And for some reason, I was just drawing a blank. And that was the conference that uh, the year prior, uh, President Nelson had said, you know, next conference will be unlike any other. I'm not sure if he was thinking about the COVID pandemic, but it was also it's interesting because I just could not think of any questions to come up with. And that week I felt impressed that I needed to just be more grateful. And so I uh, did this, what, what I never heard of before, but I did a gratitude fast and I just wow. fasted and just thanked God all 24 hours for all the things that I had been blessed with. And after that, I finally came up with one question to bring to conference. And the question was, 
what should I be proactively prioritizing in my life to fulfill the mission and plan you have for me on earth, God? And it seems like a simple enough question, but I just felt very impressed to bring that with me to conference. And on conference morning, Saturday morning, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and I couldn't fall back asleep. And I was so mad because I was like, I need to stay awake for conference. I already <laughs> fall asleep when I get enough sleep and I, I want to make sure that I can be alert, but I just couldn't sleep. And I like, I took a melatonin. That didn't work at all. And then all of a sudden I started getting like this inspiration that I needed to write a book, that wow. God wanted me to write a book. And I was like, I just felt impressed to just get down on my knees and, and write things down and talk it out with God. And, and that's when God gave me this vision of like, he wanted me to write a book for women in the church. And he gave me a vision of like, you know, there's a story of the woman at the well, but the vision was just women from all different walks of life coming together at this metaphorical well to share their living water experiences or the experiences that left them spiritually full and not thirsting again. And it was a really spiritual experience. And, and God said, I want this book to be your side of the story. I want you to share your living water experiences. I want you to encourage those who need more living water in their lives and to give them the wisdom and be a flashlight shining backwards on those who are walking in similar paths to you. And I want you to call this book Woman at the Well. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And it was crazy. Just throughout the pandemic, every couple of weeks, God would inspire me with another chapter or bring to my remembrance experiences I had that he wanted me to share. And it's been three years in the works and it's finally coming to pass. It's really cool. And um, your, you know, your professional experience um, doesn't have writing on your resume. It's not like I'm <laughs> seeing an English major here and um, the typical path. And I think that's great for all of us just to consider how God wants us to serve. And it may be atypical to our just what we're doing professionally or academically. And um, But he creates a way. And I'm sure that there were a lot of voices around you. I don't know if that's true, but I'm sure there may have been voices that came in your mind. Who am I to write a book? How will I get it published? Will people read um, somebody my age about this subject? You have to have 30 years of church experience and lived experience. And I think all those voices that might come into your mind, listeners, try to, try to um, not listen to those voices because here's somebody that's, done something really courageous and i don't know if anybody in your family's written books or if you ever imagine this but here you are a published author and yeah, you're busy yeah. with your professional work and your academic work and this is going to bless a lot of lives so keep sharing it's, it's cool you've done this and i love just the metaphor um by the way women at the well and just the communication and the the things that are discussed when people are together. And I would guess this, this will be a great book for men to read. Um, Cause I'm assuming the principles would also help men, even though I think it's great. You're targeting women. So share more and listeners will put a link to Amazon um, in the show notes. This will also be available at desert book at some point. Um, we'll add that to the show notes once it's available. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think one of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite Christian authors, Stephanie May Wilson, is if you could see the story that God is writing in your life, you'd never be jealous of anyone else's. Wow. Yeah. And it's just such a powerful reminder to me wherever I am in life, um, whether I'm, you know, a young college nursing student struggling with exams, struggling with dating, um, or, you know, whether you're a, a mother with a new baby or it, it can apply anywhere. And it truly is beautiful the things that God will do with our lives when we, you know, ask him to to play a role as our, our partner in uh, not crime, but in good. <laughs> I love that. Keep sharing. That's a powerful quote. Yeah, I, I have it hung up in my room. I love it so much. Um, but I guess, um, as you also mentioned, uh, my cousin is Matt Easton or Matthew Easton. He, um, I, I love him so much, but he was the uh, student, for those who don't know, BYU student who came out as gay during BYU graduation in 2019. Um, definitely made a lot of news channels and stuff. Um, but kind of going back before all that happened, uh, me and Matt are our second cousins and we got to know each other really well during my time at BYU. We would get together for family dinners at my aunt's house in, in Springville. And that's kind of how I started to get to know him really well. And he was such a, you know, he's such a fun, charming, happy, hilarious person. And like, when I think of him, I'm like, oh, Matt would never hurt a fly. And it's actually really funny because uh, when I was in the MTC, I bumped into him in the laundry room, and we had no idea we were in the MTC together. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I love my cousin so much. And uh, when he when he came out at BYU graduation, I was just kind of just, I, I felt the spirit so strongly when he came out and just had so much love for him. I, I definitely cried. And I was actually just watching his speech uh, again this morning uh, wow. before I came on this podcast and I, I cried again. Like I couldn't help it. I just, I felt so much love from him as well as love from God for him uh, in that time. And, you know, afterwards he was, he had a lot of interviews talking about his experience. And as I learned more about it and how he wrestled so much with same sex attraction and his childhood and adolescence in young adulthood uh through the interviews he did um it was very eye-opening for me and I, I was so sad to know that you know although on the outside he seemed so happy at our family dinners and whenever we spent any time together that there was so much pain he had been keeping inside for so long and you know i think that can apply to so many people i i work in psychiatry and mental health and you know, we put on kind of this facade on the outside, whether or not, you know, we have same-sex attraction, but so many people struggle with mental illness, depression, anxiety, and we try to look good to the world, but inside so many of us are struggling and it's so hard to to see that sometimes. Yeah, I really agree with that. Uh, in our ward, somebody was speaking and said a fact, and I can't remember the number that, you know, most people are sitting in life and an LDS congregation with a challenge that they're not talking to anybody about. Um, some challenges were it's easier to open up a medical illness, a um, broken leg is kind of an obvious understood, but there's so many other challenges that we face that often it's hard to find community and we can put on this brave face like you're talking about. And the reality of our 
life doesn't match that and that creates dissonance and um, can, I guess, accelerate mental health issues. So um, I love that you're working in the psychiatry, to, you know, mental health area as part of your nurse nursing work. Yeah, keep sharing about Matt. Matt is, you know, somebody that we love in our family, he served a mission in Sydney, Australia. Um, our son was serving there and my wife went to his homecoming. That's how we first got to know Matt at our home, just because our son's served together. Matt's a little older than our son, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so we've just loved Matt Easton and um <clears throat> And um, just respect the life you're living and the good man that he is. And I love that you know him so well personally. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned earlier I had an experience uh, going to the D.C. Pride Parade uh, with Matt. Um, after he came out, he, he was invited to, like you said, ride in the Grand Marshal car of the Pride Parade in Washington, D.C. And at the time, I, I lived in Baltimore, about an hour north of D.C., and, and my sister lived up in Pittsburgh. and she was telling me that Matt would be there and that we should go down and see him. And I was totally game for that because I hadn't seen him in a while. And so he knew my sister was coming, but he, he did not know that I would be there. And uh, when I walked into his hotel room and surprised him, uh, he just burst into tears and he just hugged me and, and held me. And I think it just meant the world to him. Um, you know, he, he told me the other day, he said, you know, I still remember when you surprised me at DC Pride and I just cried in the hotel room while hugging you and I just felt so loved and, and so supported. And I hope that I can continue to uh, share love and support for the LGBTQ community as well as anybody who's struggling. Um, and so um, after that, he actually invited us to be in the parade with him in the Grand Marshal car. Wow. And I have to admit, I had never been to a Pride parade in my life. I just, it wasn't something I'd ever thought to go to, but you know, I love my cousin so much and I wanted to support him. And so I went for it and there I was, I found myself uh, throwing out candy and rainbow necklaces to the crowd and everybody was cheering and shouting. And it was, at first it was kind of strange and, and awkward for me, but soon it became just a really beautiful and transformative experience because like, as I was standing there next to my cousin in that car, throwing out those necklaces and candy, I was hearing the crowd yell out words of support and affirmation to him. And I was just watching him smile and cry and take in all that acceptance and, and love that he likely never dreamed that he would ever experience. And I just felt so much love too from the crowd. Um, just there was no judgment. There was no shame, no guilt, no pointing fingers, no stone throwing it was just pure love and acceptance and support and it's funny because I was talking to uh, one of my Christian friends the other day and I told her you know it might seem funny but the place that I felt the most unconditional Christ-like love in my life was a gay pride parade wow <laughs> and we were just laughing about that and honestly to this day I stand by that right now <laughs> um so yeah, that was just such a, a beautiful experience to me and really kind of helped me on this journey of becoming an LDS ally and a safe space for, for members of the LGBTQ community inside and outside of the church. I love that you had that experience. Um, that's sort of going from supporting Matt, maybe being on the side in the parade to 
being in the Grand Marshal car. Um, (laughs) There's no, and I love, I just love that you did that. And, you know, listeners, as Ashley was talking about the feelings that Matt felt um, of love, belonging, acceptance, I just thought, why can't we do that in an LDS congregation, in our LDS families? It doesn't take and change in doctrine or policy. You also said no thrones, stone throwing is that we just love LGBTQ people and they feel loved and they feel a sense of belonging and they're hearing kind things about them. Yeah, we don't have a pride parade going down, you know, welcoming LGBTQ people to church, but I think the principles that, the the feelings you felt there, um, the feelings that Matt felt, to me, caused me to think, what can I do in my circle of influence in my family or my congregation to help LGBTQ people out or closeted feel the same way. So it's just worth reflecting. Um, Cause I don't think you sold out our doctrine or our policies or turned your back on the church to be with Matt. I think you actually honored our baptism covenants to mourn, bear and comfort and be with each other's in the most important moments of their life and how much that meant to Matt when you walked into his hotel room and you can still remember that. So that was brave of you, but awesome of you. And I, I love that it was a transforming experience. Um, great job, Ashley. Keep sharing. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, speaking of like, you know, churches and congregations where we can feel that love. I, I think it's really beautiful looking back um, at how, God prepared my heart to be a safe and loving space for for Matt and for my LGBTQ friends and family. Uh, when I was at BYU, uh, my my bishop, one of my bishops was Scott McIntosh. <laughs> That's awesome. And his wife was Becky Becky McIntosh, who uh, wrote the book Love Boldly, which I, I love and highly recommend. Um, they're big allies. If you don't know them, they they have a gay son and and learned you know not without challenges, but. They learned how to love and accept him and all members of the LGBT community that have come their way. And, and because of that, their ward was a very safe space uh, for members of the LGBTQ community. So there were many um, members that I went to church with who were uh, LGBTQ. And I even remember one, one fifth Sunday we had, uh, they invited uh, Ben Shalati, a uh, BYU professor who is openly gay, to, to come speak to us. And it was just such an eye-opening experience uh, to be able to have our questions answered and about, you know, what is it like to be be gay and a member of the church? And, and why do you continue to choose your faith when it's so hard sometimes? And it just helped me feel so much more love for the LGBTQ community. And obviously that, that doesn't mean that I, I never had to wrestle to understand uh, how to better reconcile my faith and my love for my LGBTQ friends. But it, it really was a way that God opened my heart and my eyes to being able to, to choose love and to choose love over fear. And I think also as a nurse, uh, like I said, I work in psychiatry and, and God was able to give me a lot of experiences because um, for those of you who don't know, members of the LGBTQ yeah, sorry, Q community often struggle with mental health issues, uh, which is totally understandable. And I work in in the hospital and inpatient psychiatry, and it just breaks my heart when I see uh, my patients who are members of the LGBTQ community 
come in and, and tell me about what they've been through or look through their medical history and their notes. And many of them come to the hospital with a history of abuse, with dark depression, with suicidal thoughts, sometimes a, a heavy history of self-harm and suicide attempts. And I just can't imagine anybody who would choose that path um, if they had control over their sexuality. And they've felt so much rejection and abuse in their life because of their sexuality, it would be absolutely ridiculous and nonsensical for them to choose that. And it, it really helped me realize more and more that, that one, sexuality is not a choice. And two, these people need us to, to leave judgment at the door, to love and support them in, in healing and hoping for better things. And I also have many colleagues that are members of the LGBTQ community, and, and I love them more than I can express. They're just such wonderful, fun, empathetic, supportive people who are such amazing assets in my workplace and such amazing friends, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I love your work just to be an ally and be comfortable with this group. So here you are professionally with colleagues and also people you train to help. and. Um, you're still young. Um, you know, I got to this, it didn't start for me until I was in my fifties and it started for you in your twenties. And it just makes me happy that you've got your whole life to be able to help people. Um, and I think it gives you print skills to, um, help other people in other communities as you get used to different marginalized groups. I think you can go to the next group quicker. Because you develop sort of skills. I've got to listen. I've got to be willing to learn. I've got to be willing to be uncomfortable. Um, as I set aside perhaps past assumptions. But I love you're in this space. And it wasn't just like you met one gay person and then you were to the finish line. I love that you've had, you didn't, I love that you, you know, had this experience with Matt. You had the experience with the Macintoshes, with Ben Shalotti, with um, patients, with coworkers. And it's just about part of proximity listeners that, you know, to learn about a group of people, you have to be proximate. You listeners know this because you already turned into the podcast <laughs> and you've got to, you know, meet with a range of people and, and still be willing to learn, even if you've already met with the range of people. So I think this is a great sort of personal story of, of getting to know a group of people that needs to be um, understood and supported. So th keep sharing, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you. And I guess finally, um, my experiences with these people were, were life-changing for sure. But I think one of the more life-changing experiences that helped me feel, feel like I was allowed to, to love without any hesitance um, was an experience I had um, with God, actually. and. Um, there was a time in my life where I was just praying and, and I wanted to know how God felt about the LGBTQ community. I, I asked him, I said, you know, is it really a sin to be in a same sex relationship? And his response to me was kind of funny. He was like, what's it to you, Ashley? Is the answer to that question going to change the way you love people? Like, and I was like, oh, oh, that's really interesting now that you bring that up. And and I felt like God said, you know, I, I give you full permission to love my children, independent of their trials and challenges, independent of their sexuality. Like, 
love your LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Love them unceasingly. Mourn with them when they mourn. Comfort them when they need comfort. Rejoice with them when they have reason to rejoice and just be there for them. They're your brothers and sisters. They need your love just like they need mine. And I want you to just leave judgment at the door. That's not a part of your job description. That is powerful. That is one of the more powerful segments ever shared on this podcast, at least for me personally. It's really moving. I love that you ask God. That we're taught um, as Latter-day Saints to ask God. And I love that you went to God and asked him this question. And I love his answer. What is it to you, Ashley? (laughs) Is the answer (laughs) going to change the way you love people? And then I give you full permission to love my children independent of their trials and sexuality. And how relieving is that? A lot of people have been in this space for a while just are relieved because they, through personal revelation and through meeting with people, they just get to the point, my job is to love. He saves, I love. There's an Ensign article talked that's, that's title. And it's just relieving because you're not, you're not, you sometimes get in this deco- false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, you need to stop loving some of his children. And, and I love the way you just took that to God. And now you're sort of relieved of wondering, you know, am I crossing the line by sitting in the Grand Marshal? car i think you can support and sustain our leaders our doctrine or teachings and fully love lgbtq people i don't think those are opposites if if you create movement to change doctrine um that's different but if you just love people based on how they're living their lives i don't think that's um, against church teachings in fact i think it's consistent with church teachings the way christ modeled it and i love your line leave judgment at the door so it's taken me a while to kind of get to that point. Now, if, if you're in a toxic relationship, you need boundaries. So this is but um, just people going on and living their lives. Um, the best way they know how isn't, isn't toxic or threatening to us. Um, that's a great segment. Thank you. Thanks. I think I, I just, you know, we're taught from a young age, like, try to be like Jesus. And I think some of us mistakenly take that to mean try to judge like Jesus. And I just love the fact that in the scriptures, God tells us, make it clear, judge not, that you be not judged. He, he says, you are exempt from having to judge others. That's my job. Like we are exempt from stone throwing. That is all for Jesus. And isn't it interesting that the one person who is not exempt, who has the right and the capacity to judge with ethical, fair, and righteous judgment, he withheld judgment himself in all the so many stories we read of him, and he chose instead to just love. And I think that that's such an inspiring example to us. Like, yes, we want to try to be like Jesus, but we want to try to love like Jesus. We don't need to try to judge like Jesus. That's not part of our job description. And I hope that we can try to be like Jesus, to care like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. Um, and I'm glad and, and so comforted to know that uh, judgment is not for me. It's great. Keep sharing. Yeah, I guess I, I just want my faith community to be a safe space for all. Um, like I said, where judgment is left at the door and where unconditional love 
permeates our lives and our relationships. I, I know that there are many people leaving the church these days because of poor experiences that they have or that other people have. And uh, many of my friends have left. And, and for those who have left and, and confided in me the reasons why they've chosen to part with my faith community, like I, I understand why they leave. And I hope they all know that their leaving does not change my love for them one bit. I hope that they know that I am a safe space for them filled with love and care and hugs and listening ears, because I believe that that is the woman that God would have me be. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're connected with people that are walking different roads and um, talk more about that if you want to. I don't know if that's part of your book, but one of my feelings about those that are in a faith crisis is they want to find a way to stay and their old kind of toolbox doesn't work. And I felt sometimes they need new tools or new perspectives or new models or new paradigms um, to stay. I don't know if you want to talk about that or what you would typically just share with your friends that are in a faith crisis or what in your book kind of helps people navigate this. Or you can save yeah. that for later. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I personally have definitely gone through uh, my fair share of faith crises. Um, and um, they're not easy. They are, they are not. And they make you, they often take you by surprise and you feel just almost panicked and devastated and spiritually paralyzed at times and and it's scary and you kind of start questioning is it going to be like this forever and as i've experienced those experiences i've had to kind of recognize it's funny but kind of this analogy i've i've thought of comparing it to is that of a caterpillar and you know how caterpillars change from larva into a butterfly and they have to go into this chrysalis and to become a butterfly everybody thinks oh they're just going to go into this warm fuzzy little um one of those called sleeping bag or something and and then they're going to come out beautiful but uh actually I, I studied this for some reason i don't remember why but to become a butterfly a caterpillar actually has to digest itself which is like super crazy and does not sound fun like, but certain groups of cells survive that process and they turn this like caterpillar soup into like eyes and wings and antenna, like over the span of five to 21 days. And they undergo the strange yet necessary transformation to reach their full potential and become a more beautiful version of themselves. So as scary as it sounds, uh, ultimately it leads to something beautiful. And when I think of this process, I, I can't help but think of how during a faith crisis or what I like to call personally a faith transformation, because uh, I think crisis has a negative connotation, we enter this so-called spiritual chrysalis. And these chrysalis can feel dark and lonely and hopeless. But ultimately, I believe that they provide us with the environment we need um, to foster the growth necessary to reach our true potential to go on a spiritual journey from an innocent and weak little, little caterpillar to like a majestic butterfly. And as I've experienced various faith transformations throughout my life, I have tried to find like specific steps during these periods of time to help me hold on to hope and better cope with the anxieties that come no matter what. So 
the first thing I do is I, I take a deep breath and remind myself that I'm going to be okay. Um, that's for like the initial panic that hits me. Um, and then next I, I say a prayer and I ask God to help me get through this and hold on to just pure, uncontaminated truth. The, the truth that God would have me treasure in my heart while I sift through messages I receive from external sources. Like I would want no one else to be my number one cheerleader through the process than God who knows everything. Um, and then after that, I step three is just, I try to remember my anchor. I remember the doctrines and the spiritual experiences I've had that ground my faith. And those are different for everyone. For me, it's might be like, I have a heavenly father who loves me hears me and answers me when I have questions. I have a savior who died for my sins, who can empathize perfectly for me and provide me exactly what I need to do hard things and keep moving forward in this plan of happiness he has for me. And priesthood blessings make me feel better. So I'm probably going to get one. (laughs) And uh, after I uh, fully recognize, remember, and and embrace my anchor, I, I move on to recognizing triggers and pinpointing questions and trying to become a seeker of truth. I like to see myself as a seeker of truth rather than a doubter, because I think it's more empowering for me personally. Um, so in this step, I just try to investigate what what started this faith transformation. Like maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. And then I remember Sherry Dew once said, you know, questions are not just good, they're vital because the ensuing spiritual wrestle that follows leads to answers and to knowledge and revelation and greater faith. And so I hope that that question will allow myself as well as others to see ourselves as seekers of truth rather than doubters. And then I find a spiritual mentor, someone I trust and can talk to about my feelings without fear of judgment or over-validation. Um, I try to find someone who's experienced their own faith transformation and successfully worked through it um, and been able to grow stronger in that process. Um, I remember the first time I had a faith crisis, I actually reached out to my friend, Dennis Flaker. Dennis, Um, shout out to Dennis. (laughs) And uh, he was so sweet. I was just like, Dennis, I think I'm having a faith crisis. They don't happen very often. I know you mentioned them before when you helped me. And he just called me in a heartbeat, like bless his big, warm, loving heart. And gave me some words of counsel, comforted me, told me he'd be praying for me and that he was there for me whenever I needed it. Told me he'd put my name in the temple. Like he was just the sweetest person. And, you know, while that didn't immediately pop me out of the faith that I was in, he gave me the courage to continue on for a while and, and keep filling out the terrain to recognize, you know, how the gospel and the church have blessed our lives and, and give them another chance. Um, so, yeah, having a spiritual mentor really helps bucket loads. And then finally, I just have to remind myself that this is not going to last forever. God is on my team. And if I place myself in a truth-seeking role, he will help me get through it no matter what. Kind of, it's funny because the best thing I can compare it to is like a breakup where you get caught off guard maybe a little bit. They're scary, devastating, embarrassing, ugly sometimes. And then you're like, oh, I'm stuck here forever. I'm going to be mourning forever. Stressed out. I'm never going to be able to escape. But like, you always have to remind yourself, it's not going to last forever. Things are going to get better. They will. (laughs) Hey, that was terrific, Ashley. Um, I wrote down a lot of that, listeners. Um, This is sort of part of 
I think we need new tools. Sometimes when people go through a faith transformation, um, the tools to help someone join the church may not be the tools to keep somebody in the church. They need new tools or new paradigms. So I love what you shared is you hold on to hope. Um, you're kind of calm at first and not trying to figure it all out on day one. That manages your anxiety. I love that you turn to prayer and you hold on to the, your core truths, um, the grounding. I call them the unique. For me, that's the unique doctrine that came through the Restoration um, that's unique to our faith. I love priesthood blessing. I love the, um, this idea of seeker of truth and how that's more empowering. I love doing things that are empowering. I love that you recognize that as helpful for you. Um, I love that you have a spiritual mentor um, that you trust, but without over-validation. If I, if I caught that right, you said, mm-hmm. will you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, just like not someone that's going to be like, oh, all of your questions are super valid and you should keep asking them and keep wondering and give you give you things that might push you back like i you know i've had friends that have left the church and maybe at times they could be over validating if i went to them with my questions and give me more things to push me backwards on my journey of faith and I, you know i still love them so much but they might not be the best person to choose for me as my spiritual mentor at that time that's really helpful um i think there is risk in over validating <laughs> validating is a good thing but i love that you're um, self-aware enough to know that in a spiritual mentor you need someone you can trust but you also need someone that can probably provide you some guidance and if there's a position of trust there, challenge you a little bit. I think you're open to that in a trust um, spiritual mentor situation. And I love your line, not going to last forever. Um, in these faith transformations, do you feel like you kind of get back to where you were? Or do you feel like it's just kind of the new norm as you're going forward, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the scenario. It depends how big of a faith transformation you have. Um, But for me, my faith is at a completely different place. It was like from from where it was two years ago, for sure, um, based on the different transformative experiences that I've had. And so, and I don't think that that's bad necessarily. Like God wants you to grow. God wants you to develop strength and develop different different perspectives in your faith and you know if he wanted us to stay the same then he probably wouldn't have sent us to earth because <laughs> uh he wants us to be able to to learn and open our minds and he has so much so many things to give us one of my favorite scriptures is in psalms 139 um and that's where it says like um i am fearful fearfully and wonderfully made um marvelous are thy works god uh, my soul knoweth right well. And then my favorite line from that is, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand of the sea. I may have misquoted that. But just think, God has more precious thoughts for each and every single one of us than the number of sand grains on the sea. 
And whether those are, you know, words of affirmation and love or words of wisdom, or whether that's calling us out sometimes, they're all precious and he wants to give them to us so badly. And, um, you know, at, at times when we feel kind of distant from God, or we feel like we're going through through spiritual lows, I, I think of the painting by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel, the creation of Adam, where God is reaching out to Adam and just his veins are bulging, his hand is fully outstretched, and Adam's kind of just sitting there with his knee bent and his arm kind of bent a little bit. And it it reminds me, you know, God hasn't moved an inch. He's trying to get to me so badly. And that's not to say that we'll always feel him permeating in our lives. Sometimes he kind of lets us go the path alone a little bit, but he's always there to watch us and be there for us. And it it makes me ponder, what can I do better to reach out a little more to grab God's hand and receive the precious thoughts he has? I love that you um, turn to these scriptures um, that are helpful. I think that's one of the tools in a faith crisis is we read scriptures at different stages in our life and we're looking for different things. So this idea that God has a thousand thoughts for each of us, if we're in the middle of a faith transformation, that may mean a different thing to us than before or afterwards. So I think turning to the scriptures and reading through the lens of the things we're trying to think through personally or the things we're trying to help others with, often scriptures pop out to us that have never popped out to us before. And I love that you continue to use the basic, I don't want to say basics like a negative way, but um, there is parts of the toolbox of joining the church that includes scripture study, prayer, um, that's still part of working through a faith transition. Um, as long, So I don't want to say it's a different, completely different toolbox, but it's there are some other things that you've suggested here. Do you feel like your faith, I don't know how to ask this question right without being a leading question. Good. <laughs> I'm a marketing research listener, so I'm always trying to ask questions in my mind that aren't leading. Um, I don't do any marketing research now. I'm just trained that way. But do you feel your faith is more resilient now in the sense you've got sort of these other these other foundational points to navigate the complexity of our faith at times that is helps you long-term in our faith. Um, I don't want to pin you in the corner. You're going to say right now, I'll be active in the church for the next hundred years for sure. A hundred percent. I think you feel you will be, but I guess I'm wondering if you feel like you've got a diff, a more stable foundation to navigate your journey forward as a Latter-day Saint. Yeah. Um, I think that obviously, you know, my, my faith isn't perfect and I, I still do experience faith transforming experiences, but each of those experiences that I have, I, I try to use to, to help me become stronger. And, you know, for those who are listening, I just want to let you know that it, it is okay at times when the things you once knew so strongly to be true you start questioning a little bit um, because I've had experiences where, you know, I, I started off having such a strong testimony and then I question one thing and then, I, you know, I gain resilience in that way. But then, you know, something else that I thought was maybe one of my anchors, I starts to feel 
like it maybe is a little bit less sturdy than I thought and I have to work on that. So it's like, you know, we, we got to keep working on our, our anchors and our, our whole boat in general uh, to make sure that uh, it floats and, and we don't sink. Um, but God is merciful and, and gives us grace and, and we can do it hopefully one step at a time. I love that. Um, I want you to talk about your new book, but just to comment on this, I think one of the things I wish we could do better of is create a culture where it's okay to have a faith transition and open up. I think your YSA ward in Boston may be a safer place than, um, you know, other wards. But I think if we're a local leader um, or parent, I think we can create a culture that if I have questions, we don't say things that, well, you're on the slippery slope to apostasy or you're lazy because you're having a faith question. And so I think we need to normalize um, faith transitions. Not every Latter-day Saint will go through that, but many will. And they need to not feel like um, they've let God down, they've let their self down, they're um, on the road to leaving the church because they have honest questions, just like you talked about Sherry Dew's comment. So I think that helps. Um, I met with somebody who's an LDS bishop, and he got a letter from somebody. He's new um, in this assignment, and he got a letter that was handed to him from a prior, from a ward member um, that basically says, I'm out. And we talked about that a little bit, not only what he could do to talk to that member, but one of the things I suggested to him, he said, you know, you're kind of new as a bishop. You could just say, you know, and kind of, setting the tone for your ward, you could say, okay, you know, if there's those of you that um, are in a faith crisis, a faith transition of honest questions, and you want to talk to me, this is how I will respond if you open up. (laughs) And I will say these four things to you first, (laughs) like you're brave to come in. Um, I love you. You know, let's talk about this. You're not on the road to apostasy. So that you telegraph in advance as a parent or as a local leader how you will respond if somebody's open up. Because I believe, you know, there are other people one, two, three years away from writing that type of a letter. And their only acknowledgement of their faith transition is they're totally out. There was no discussion between totally in and totally out with a priesthood leader or a trusted you know, you call him a spiritual mentor. I love that, Ashley. So that's just a thought um, to create a culture um, as spiritual mentors. So I love the idea that we create a culture around us as spiritual mentors, as local leaders, as friends, as parents, that people will trust us. That's one of the key things you said, is I want someone I can trust. And it's not going to shame me for having questions and make me feel like a, you know, a bad Latter-day Saint for having questions about historical issues or current issues. But I'm talking too much. I want you to talk about your new book, um, if you're ready to do that, Women at the Well, Mini Devotionals for Women of Faith. So you could, in this last segment, you could talk about that, unless there's any more concluding thoughts on faith transition, faith transformations. Let me respond to what you said about kind of church leaders and creating a culture of safety for faith transformation. Sorry. I I do think that my ward here in Boston does a very good job with that. Um, uh, We have institute classes that are just for um, looking at questions we have, and they'll ask us in advance what questions you have about the church. We talked about 
Blacks in the priesthood. We talked about the LGBTQ community. We talked about women in the priesthood. We talked about polygamy. And um, they ask us what our questions are. And we they are able to instigate discussions with us in institute about that. And I thought that was really powerful. And then I think as members, not even as leaders, but as members, we really also, I think, help each other in those ways. Because in, in testimony meetings, I have had fellow members get up and say, rather than saying what I know to be true today, I want to say what I believe is true and what I hope is true. I love that. And that was one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard because it was just so real to me. Because what does it mean to know the church is true? Like, it's it's such a kind of an abstract statement. But when you believe and hope for something and have faith in something, I think that's so much stronger. Like in the scriptures, it says faith is stronger than knowing. That's what Jesus said to Thomas when he doubted. And also in terms of just responding to people, whether you're a church leader or a friend or anybody who comes to you with questions and in this faith transformation period, I think the first thing we can just say is, thank you so much for trusting me with this. I am so honored that you trust me enough to come to me with these concerns. And I want to support you to the best of my ability. Like, how can I best help you? And I actually have a friend that that left the church last year and she was talking to me the other day and she said, you know what hurt the most? What hurt the most is I said, I told my bishop I was leaving and I thought we had a really good relationship. And he just ghosted me after that. Wow. He never tried to come after me or just to question like, oh, how are you doing? Like, I just want to know how you're doing and if there's anything I can do for you. And and she said, I don't think I necessarily would come back, but it just, it hurt a lot to think I have had all these friends in the church and even members that didn't come after her. I, I don't know. She's like, I didn't necessarily want them to come be like, you need to come back to church, but I wanted them to come with an open heart to love me and maybe questions to better understand um, and see if they could help me in any way. So I think that those are some of the ways that we can do better as members of the church um, in supporting this culture. That's really powerful. And I think, you know, I love, you know, I've written a third book, listeners, and it's coming out. It's called Building the Good Ship Zion Under the Listen, Learn, and Love. But one of the chapters is chapter four, how should we treat those that leave the church? And it's not a chapter inviting people to leave the church, but it's part of uh, being a Zion people is, you know, how we know how to treat people that are considering getting on good ship Zion. Um, but the people that are considering leaving or the people like your friend that have actually stepped off good ship Zion, I think it's still part of our baptism covenants to mourn, bear and comfort and have these non-transactional relationships of love that we just love people because they deserve to be loved. Not because our love will get them back on the ship, but just because they deserve to be loved. But often we don't know what to say to somebody who's left. Um, we don't want to offend them. So we've had no training. I had no training on <laughs> doctorism. We left the church. Um, so I think that's something that could, we could talk about in Release Society and Elders Quorum is we all have family and friends that have stepped away from the church. What do we do to preserve the relationship? 
And, you know, uh, we did a podcast with the Release Societies that with the approval of the person leaving the church, threw a thank you party for her for decades of service in the ward and tithing paid. And it didn't cause other people in the ward to leave the church because they saw how well they treated her. It just kept the community intact. They wanted to know her in this in this Release Society party, <laughs> um, that they loved her and they didn't want that to change. And they recognized her con- contributions to the church. Now, that's probably not going to be an authorized church program in the handbook, but it's not outside of church teachings to do that. And it teaches a principle that I think is really thoughtful. So I, I love you bringing that up, Ashley. Um, cause you know, we think we know how people feel that have left the church, but until we have proximity and really listen to them, which can be a little scary because sometimes we're worried that's going to influence us. But if we're grounded enough in our testimony, like you are, you've had hundreds of discussions, I'll bet with people that are considering leaving or leaving and you're not, you kind of know all the content they're going to talk about. So you don't get surprised probably by some new thing. Um, and I think that's more of a sustainable way to go forward for you personally. So anyway, I want to get to your book, but that just is um, a really important subject that I feel we can do better on um, as a faith. And maybe people joining the ship watch how we treat people leaving the ship because they're not sure how it's going to work for them long term. And they want to be involved in an organization that's as equally kind to people um, joining as well as people separating. So just some thoughts there, listeners. Um, but I want Ashley to talk about her book. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of talked a little bit about how I came to write this book. And um, the the title before, right now, it's Women at the Well, Many Devotionals for Women of Faith. But the, the longer title I had that was rejected because it was too long was um, <laughs> Women at the Well, 30 Devotionals to Help Women of Faith Recognize Their Worth become best friends with God and hold on to hope through life's challenges. Wow. That's a great title. Yeah. I don't know. We've rejected it too long, whatever, (laughs) but yeah, I just think, you know, it's so important for us to be able to, to recognize our worth in, in God. And it's just so easy for the adversary to get in our heads about it and to, uh, you know, play those negative affirmations on repeat in our minds. Um, but I think it's so powerful when we recognize that God, you know, loves us so much, but he also not only wants to be our father or brother, he wants to be our friend. Um, in John 15, when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he, he told them, he said, I can't remember, I'm, I'm probably misquoting this, but he basically said, you know, you're not just my followers, you are my friends. Um, and we can become best friends with God um, because God, at least my, my qualifications for a best friend is someone who knows me really well, who loves me despite my imperfections and who I can trust completely, who will not judge, not shame, not point fingers, and who has the capacity to fill my cup as I can fill theirs too. (laughs) And so God truly is the perfect best friend, the perfect cheerleader. And then Holding on to hope through life's challenges uh, is a theme throughout all of our lives. I think um, we all have challenges. We all have trials of different natures, whether that's like 
you know, Matt's challenges with same-sex attraction or my challenges being a nurse in the middle of COVID, you know? And I think that the scriptures and our relationships with God and the power that I've seen come through the gospel of Jesus Christ can really arm us with the capacity to be more aware of our divine nature and worth to develop a stronger, closer relationship with God and to have the things we need uh, to walk through challenges um, without being totally scared and set back and, and helpless in them. And so kind of my book has like 30 little mini devotionals. Um, you can read them every day or you can read them whenever you need a spiritual pick me up. They're on different topics like you know, how can I make scripture study more fun? Or, you know, how do I choose faith over fear? Or um, I'm trying to think things off the top of my head. I do have one about faith transformations in there. Uh, and I covered a lot of the stuff I cover in that chapter. Or even things like, um, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I just read that chapter myself today about how I'm a horrible plant mom. And I've had to learn through trial and error how to become a better plant mom. <laughs> But uh, at the end of each chapter, there's a little invitation for the reader to kind of apply the contents to their lives and try to recognize their worth better, become better friends with God, and hold on to more hope during life's challenges. This is a great book. Thank you. I love, I love you know, what you're sharing and um, just that we can connect with God. There should be no shame. We don't have to be perfect. That relationship's not earned, just there. Um, because of our divine nature as children of heavenly parents. And I love that there's 30 of these that can just help us find hope. Um, and you're a life coach. I don't know if you want to talk about that and even potentially willing to give um, a free session to listeners or anything else you, you can just continue to share. We have more time on anything you'd like to talk about. Yeah, I, I actually... Um... I recently became a life coach. I just completed my coaching certification. And um, I, the, the way I got into life coaching was a couple years ago. You know, I was a young single uh, adult, newly graduated from BYU, um, trying my luck at adulting, which is not as easy as it looks. <laughs> we think our parents have it all together. And then we get there and we're like, oh, they're just, you know, trying things out too and hoping things work. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I was really struggling with, um, shame, with guilt. Um, I, I kind of gave a recent devotional on high five live about it and, and experiencing a lot of spiritual perfectionism that really took me down into depression for a few months. And I, after a while was like, this is not how I want to live my life. So I, I took a course from a, a Christian couple, um, uh, called Alive and Free, I think. They, they did not pay me to say that. But um, basically, it really helped me better learn to love myself. It really helped me learn to encounter God in my life more. And because of that, I wanted to be able to share the things that they taught me. And they, they recently offered to train people to coach like they did. And so I took that course and just got qualified as a course. And uh, I mean, for podcast listeners, uh, you know, I specialize in, in helping people learn to love themselves, to, to heal from unhealthy root beliefs that we may not even know we have. Some of my unhealthy root beliefs may have been like, oh, I have to be perfect to be loved or, you know, my, my body isn't good or, you know, I'm not enough. 
I'll always be a disappointment. Uh, those things that sneak into our lives and cause cause symptoms, but we can't really figure out where they come from. Um, I specialize in countering shame and guilt and perfectionism, navigating faith crises, and also finding purpose in singleness. Um, I'm a member of the YSA community. I love I love LDS single. I I absolutely adore them. I mean, maybe that's weird because I am one, but uh, you know, the struggle is real. Dating is hard too, you know. And I've had to really partner with God to recognize that I can not put my life on hold to live. Um, we need to start living and stop waiting. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if anybody wants a free life coaching session, I, I am super down to offer one free coaching session uh, to your listeners. They can just direct message me on Instagram uh, and say, you know, hey, I listened to your podcast episode on Listen, Learn, Love and would love to get a free coaching session. Uh, but yeah, my Instagram is ashley.c.dyer. It's really cool that you um, are a life coach and um, I love this idea S. Michael Wilcox taught about the compass. This is a compass with two feet and this one foot sort of anchored in our restored gospel and some of these truths that you talk about. But I think the other anchor can, the other foot of that compass can go way out um, and see good in outside of our faith. So I love that you um, sometimes reference other Christian people that have blessed your life. And I love that. I don't think that means taking, you know, it isn't like our fixed foot, you know, is off the ground. It's just, we've extended because we want to learn all the good and truth and um, things that other um, Christian face and other people of other faiths bring to the world. Um, this kind of communal garden that Patrick Mason talks about that blesses all of us. And we all have a role in that. But I think part of your life mission is to, you know, you're a grounded Latter-day Saint with that fixed foot, but you're also willing to kind of extend that other foot and see goodness everywhere and and see how that can then help you bless other lives like you're coaching. Um, I really love, you know, I, I've thought about perfectionism and how that sept, it, sept, that isn't a word, seeped into our culture. And I don't know the answer to that, but I know so many of these milestones we go through as young women, young men, <clears throat> are sort of earned milestones, particularly when we used to have these, you know, scouting program and the medallion program. Um, and so I've wondered if we then think that our relationship with God is sometimes earned and our relate and our love from God is earned just the way we earn things. We earn things academically and professionally and, and that's good. I'm not critical of that. Sometimes in our church culture, we earn things, um, but that relationship isn't like that. Um, as you're teaching, no well hand, it's it's just there. President Monson has a great quote about it. it's not earned, it's just there because of our divine nature. And I think that lets us access that relationship better if we believe that, even on our worst days, or even, you know, the attending the temple is earned. We have to have, you know, have a belief and behavior hurdle, but our relationship with God is not like that. So sometimes I've wondered if, you know, I like the temples and i agree that we should have a temple recommend but our relationship with god isn't like that and so i've wondered how that's all kind of crept into our culture that sometimes this perfectionist i've got to earn my relationship with god um, that i don't agree with now that's just my thought i also you get me thinking ashley and i (laughs) 
I love um, your single, and I love that you own that um, and find purpose in single. This this third book I've written that I referenced earlier, one of the chapters is chapter six, Better Supporting Single Latter-day Saints. And I love this idea that if you're single, you should feel whole and complete now. And I think you kind of mentioned that. Yeah, I think, you know, being married is a good thing, and but it may be outside of the circle of your control to make possible. And you may feel, well, I should be doing something more, and what's wrong with me, and everybody else is getting married, and that's a dangerous road to go down. So I think culturally, we tried to do this in our YSA ward, is the success of our YSA ward was not a scorecard of how many couples we got married. We never talked about that in the culture of our ward. It was just helping people come unto God and come unto Christ and and receive ordinances and covenants. And that was really what we tried to model in our YSA ward culture because we wanted the YSAs to feel complete now. That didn't take personal progress off the off the table or you know, anything, but we just wanted YSAs to feel whole and complete now. Um, and so that's, I, I think you've got some of that in your book and some of your thinking. And I'm a little vulnerable there because I talk about not getting married till I was 28. And I was at, I sort of, I think I use this line in here is I was at peace knowing every, doing everything to find her and getting on with my life. But LDS culture was not at peace with me. And I started to get defined as the single, you know, 27, 28-year-old versus the things I was doing professionally and academically in my life. And that was a very difficult time for me. Um, I still remember it was, time, it was the only time I really didn't feel, I felt some of the rub of church culture in a negative way. And uh, that hasn't quite left me. My mission president gave me really good advice. He said, finding her is is a top priority, but it's not time-related. And that kind of sustained me for all those years. But for women, it's maybe even different because it may be further outside of her circle of control to actually make happen in her life versus a guy, but not always. So I don't yeah. know if I, that's a whole other subject. Oh, I love you're, that. You're love walking that so this road in your late 20s, early 30s. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's where that that quote that I mentioned earlier that I have in my room uh, really pushes me forward. Just if you could see the story God is writing in your life, you'd never be jealous of anyone else's because it's so easy to get jealous when you get all those wedding invites and the baby announcements on your refrigerator. Uh, my, <laughs> my roommates and I joke, it's called the singles awareness fridge. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then you, you know, you see Instagram and Facebook and you know, everybody's, you know, having their third child at this point, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I just turned 30 this month. And you know, everybody's moving along and you feel like, Oh, what have I done? But I think as we start to ask God and partner with God and say, kind of like the question I asked, what should I be proactively prioritizing in my life to fulfill the mission and plan you have for me? What is the mission you have for me on earth? And I actually asked God, you know, what, what, what is my mission right now? And it took a while for him to answer. It took a few months, but then one day I was on a run and all of a sudden, I heard, like, I felt, Ashley, your mission is to create heaven on earth and heaven in you. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, that's a little too cool for me to think up myself. <laughs> and so that was the mission that, that God gave me for my life. I don't know if that will change, but that's what I've been using 
these years of singleness to do. And I um, I think life has become so much more beautiful as I've partnered with God to do the things he would have me do and to become the things he would have me become um, as a single woman and member of the church. Wow. You're a remarkable woman. I love this pattern of you um, asking God and then getting answers and um, finding purpose in your unique purpose. And I love that quote. And I think if we could all come see our older selves, um, you know, and see our life mission, we'd be more kind to our current selves and see purpose in our current selves, which is really what your quote is and find more peace today and more hope for tomorrow. Um, you give me hope for the future. I think you're millennial. I can't quite remember the Gen Z millennial. Um, I am a millennial, I believe. <laughs> I think you're a young millennial, but your yeah. age group just gives me hope for the world, for the future. Um, I, you're just so multidimensional and so thoughtful and serving in so many ways. Church-wise, um, on the record, I assume that you've got an LDS tools calling, but You've also written a church book that doesn't really show up in LDS duels. And, <laughs> and then you're um, in the world career-wise in a space that's helping people where there's so much need um, medically and also with the mental health you're doing. And, and this is me speaking to a lot of you out there too that are serving in wonderful, remarkable ways that may not be always understood by families in our faith community. And um, But I love Ashley, just pointing us back to getting personal relation from God, taking any question to God. Um, some of my LGBTQ friends on the podcast often talk about, well, God, how do you feel about me? And instead of change me or um, they just get really good personal revelation when they start asking God real questions. And you're doing that with some of the questions you've asked. And I think that's great. So listeners, we will link to Ashley's Instagram account. We've mentioned it verbally. We'll link to Ashley's book. Um, terrific book that I think helps all of us. And just keep being you, Ashley. The world's a better place with you in it right now, not in 20 years. Um, it'll be better then too, but I think it's just beautiful life you're living and the good you're doing. And any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, thank you so much. Those kind words uh, mean so much to me. I guess um, final thoughts, just, you know, keep loving. Love unceasingly. Leave judgment at the door. No room for rocks and stone throwing. We, that's not a part of our job description. God said, you know, you don't need that. It's okay. And remember that we're here to learn heaven and not earn heaven, as Brad Wilcox said. And that if we partner with God, um, our lives will be so beautiful. And if you could see the story that God has run your life, you'd never be jealous of anyone else's. Terrific. This is Ashley Dyer and Richard Osler signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>